This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to welcome to this program two great Americans, Governor Phil Bryant and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We begin America's Roundtable this weekend with Governor Phil Bryant, who served as Mississippi's 64th governor from 2012 to 2020. And before becoming the state's chief executive, Phil Bryant was Lieutenant Governor, State Auditor, and represented his legislative district in the Mississippi House of Representatives. He began his career in law enforcement as a deputy sheriff of Heinz County. Governor Bryan serves on the Executive Advisory Board of International Leaders Summit, a distinguished guest host of America's Roundtable, and is spearheading initiatives at Brian Sanji Snell Global Partners. Good morning, Governor Bryant. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Governor Bryant. Good morning, Joe Kasha. Good morning. It's great as always to be with you uh, on this beautiful day, and uh, we are all blessed uh, to live in this wonderful country and have an opportunity, even now, still have the opportunity, I don't know how long it'll last, but to have freedom of speech. Well said, Governor. On June 15, 2021, the White House released the national strategy for countering domestic terrorism with the following statement, I quote, President Biden directed his national security team to lead a 100-day comprehensive review of U.S. government efforts to address domestic terrorism, unquote. And the Wall Street Journal states, I quote, some law enforcement officials say the absence of such a statute has made it difficult to pursue violent criminals while civil liberties groups have argued that the government already has the necessary laws, unquote. And just a few weeks ago, in May 2021, the National Fraternal Order of Police posted a graphic on social media showing big increases in the homicide rate in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Minneapolis, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Portland, Oregon, all cities currently led by Democrats. And an AP report stated, I quote, The numbers in it were alarming. Homicides in Chicago up by 22% through late May, compared with the same period last year. In Minneapolis, homicides were up 56%, and in Portland, 800%, unquote. Governor Bryant, why should Americans be concerned about this White House proposal on countering domestic terrorism, which some view as targeting those on the right, and not addressing the violent crimes of far-left groups such as Antifa? And what are we to make of this push to make 
domestic terrorism a major issue when there are other pressing issues to address in America today? Well, I think it's weaponizing the criminal justice system. I'm a former law enforcement officer. I I spent 20 years in law enforcement, both in the public and, and private sectors, in investigating major crimes. And so when I see the federal government began to expand their reach, when we hear that domestic terrorism, white supremacy, is the greatest threat to America, not radical Islamic terrorism, Uh, not the opening of our border, unleashing thousands that are rushing through from all over the world. We have no idea what's coming across that border, not only in the human threat, but human trafficking, drugs, uh, weapons. Uh, And believe me, gangs want weapons and they can be brought in through that border by people who are crossing there each and every day. But what is our government concentrating on? They're concentrating on, and and here's what it says. It says that these groups, these domestic terrorist groups, may have single-issue ideologies, such as abortion. Of course, now, people who are out protesting, exercising their constitutional right outside an abortion clinic could be part of these domestic terrorists. So what do we do? Well, we began to investigate that preacher that's standing on the sidewalk counseling young women that are going into abortion clinics. We look into his tactics. Maybe we tap his phone because he's a domestic terrorist. Here's one. I'm not sure what this is. Uh, Involuntary celibate violent extremists. Involuntary celibate. These are the groups that they're identifying in the White House, in our Justice Department, as well as other grievances or a combination of ideological influences. I don't know what that means, but they're going to be spending millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars investigating these individuals that are related to this. Anarchists, violent extremists are those who oppose forms of capitalism. Hmm. Now, let's just think about this. So if you're going to be a violent extremist, You might be one that opposes all forms of capitalism. I think we have some United States congressmen that might fit that category. This is concerning on so many levels, particularly, as you said, Joel, when unfortunately hundreds of our fellow Americans, many of which are children, are being murdered and killed by gangland-type slayings in our cities. I I saw the president refer to the the mayor of Baltimore, who said the real problem, all of this murder that's taking place in New York and Baltimore and Chicago, Philadelphia, it's all because of guns that are coming from other locations. So so they're blaming now rural America for somehow we are in Mississippi and Indiana and Tennessee and Ohio, we're shipping in arms into the city ran by Democratic leadership, been managed by Democrats for decades now, and somehow they're able to divert that. And the White House joined them, no less authority than the President of the United States said, that's right, these illegal guns are coming from other states into these major cities, and that's the number one problem, along with white supremacy. Now, Joel, I've been in Mississippi all my life. I've seen as a child, I've read about, I remember white supremacy, and it's ugly. The Ku Klux Klan who were taking the lives of, I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I don't know of any. We want true white supremacists to be arrested if they're committing a violent crime, if they're breaking any laws. 
We want them shunned from society. No one wants to associate with a white supremacist, but the president of the United States and this administration says that's the number one threat to America. It is troubling on so many levels and America needs to wake up and listen and watch to what's going on in this new police state that we used to call the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right. They should be turning uh, their heads towards the southern border, uh, actually. In addressing the humanitarian and national security crisis on the border, we have spoken about these concerns and how transnational organized crime groups are making vast sums of money through human trafficking, smuggling drugs, and send dangerous gang members to America's poorest border. The statistics are alarming, as Fox News states, and I quote, there were more than 180,000 migrant encounters in May 2021, yet another increase from the more than 178,000 in April, and that has been increasingly sharply from the 78,000 in January. Jackson, Mississippi, has a population of 173,000 people. With what we saw in April and May, it is like having twice the number of people living in Jackson, Mississippi, walking across the U.S.-Mexico border and heading to southern states and the Midwest. Uh, some would consider that this is beyond a national crisis, that the Biden policy is a disaster for America, specifically during the, this period when we are still addressing the pandemic and economic challenges we face. Now, the governor of Texas announced efforts to build a border wall to protect all of America while the federal government has no problem in taking federal taxes from citizens, yet failing in its responsibility to provide national security at the U.S. border. We have also heard that uh, Governor Christy Noem is looking into what her small state can do to help Texas pay for the wall, and Governor DeSantis is sending Florida police to help Texas on the border. And finally... Kamala Harris realizing that former President Donald J. Trump and a bipartisan group of public officials were heading to the border now made her way to the U.S.-Mexico border on Friday after 90 days since she was named immigration czar. Uh, Governor Bryant, you were invited by President Trump to participate at a White House summit on border security and you were all working together in implementing a rule of law immigration system and began the hard work of securing our border by building a wall. Now, we have a total different picture with hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants pouring into our nation. Governor Bryant, are Americans across the country aware of the significant crisis and how will this massive invasion of illegal immigrants affect security in local communities across the nation and the employment market for the decent, hardworking American citizens? Well, let me say, if they're not watching Fox News or listening to this program or other uh, honest, straightforward radio and television shows, they don't know it. If you're watching the mainstream media, ABC, NBC, CBS, if you're reading the New York Times or the Clarion Ledger here, you don't know it. And here's what the media likes to do. They'll say, well, we mentioned it. We did cover that story. But imagine the type of coverage, and we remember the coverage that President Trump got when they thought children were being put in cages, cages that were built and put in place by the Obama administration. The lack of true, honest media coverage on this and so many issues is frightening. It, it should be troubling to all Americans 
not only do they not report those things that are important to national security, like the border, but they will cover up mistakes that have been made. Now, when we see children that are being dropped over the portion of the walls that have been completed, we see a five-year-old crying, crying and asking coyotes not to leave them alone there in the desert. This is heartbreaking. The trafficking of young women that is going on, when that 15 and 16-year-old girl crosses that border and given to a coyote on this side, horrible, unimaginable things are, are taking place in her life. And the, this administration is allowing that somehow to go on. Unlike the vice president, I've been to the border. I've been with our courageous men and women in the border patrol. I've been in a helicopter. I've actually been there as they were apprehending individuals crossing the Rio Grande at Laredo. It is a horrific job and dangerous job for those courageous men and women at the border patrol and ICE that are, that are our last line of defense. Why on earth would they allow this to happen? Why would they open the borders and allow anyone from so many different countries? I think the last was about 42 different nations, individuals uh, crossing that border. We don't know how many of those children and families have been traumatized, raped, robbed on their way to the border. How many are murdered before they ever reach there? This is something that the world has not seen in generations uh, of this type of human tragedy that is taking place. Why? So that the Democratic Party might, might allow future voters to come into the United States. That's the only possible reason. If they were saying, oh, you open our hearts to these people that are fleeing because of persecution, they would develop a system to where children are not being raped and murdered and trafficking and put in sales when they're arriving here. They were ill-prepared for this. All America ought to employ the White House and, and this administration to help those poor children. Find up policies that we have seen that it would be effective holding them in Mexico, working with, I met just not long ago, the Consul General of Mexico talking about economic development opportunities between Mexico and the United States. They still exist, but the border has to be secured before we can do that. And one of the things that a member, member after member after member of the Border Patrol told me, fences work. Walls are effective. They showed me a community college where immigrants were flooding across, illegal immigrants were flooding across and going through the grounds of this community college until they were ready to shut it down until they put up a simple metal fence. It stopped it. It ended it completely. It works, and it works humanitarily. There's nothing harmful about a wall that you can't penetrate, that you can't go over. It actually protects individuals who are coming from South and Central America here. And again, loss of life, the terrible things that occur to them, the bringing of drugs and weapons across that border. I would hope that the Biden administration and I hope that the vice president will see what's really going on when she finally visits the border and have an awakening, if you will, uh, about how these individuals are being treated, what's happening to them, what's happening to America, and uh, not only say 
don't come to America, as I've heard her uh, verbalize, but do something to stop it. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection website, since October 1, so during last eight months, Border Patrol arrested 6,918 individuals who have been convicted of one or more crimes. And that compares to a year before when 2,438 were arrested. But when we look at the inflow of immigrants, the encounters actually doubled, more than doubled in eight months compared to the 12 years previously. So we're going to have more influx in the next four months and more arrests. So when you talk about illegal weapons getting to certain states, you can look at the records for arrests, for illegal weapons possession, transport and trafficking, there are 221 individuals that were arrested on illegal weapons trafficking on the southern border in the last eight months. So that's where Biden administration should look at. Natasha, just think of this. If you're a criminal living in Central or South America or Mexico and you are a drug dealer, where do you want to come? You want to come to a major city in America because that's where your customers are at. I mean, you can sell drugs on the streets of New York a lot easier than you can sell drugs in Central America or in South America, and you can get much more money for it. Now, that's a violent lifestyle because you've got to fight the other drug dealers. So when MS-13 says, where is our market? Well, our market's Baltimore. Our market's New York, Chicago, Philadelphia. We, if we go there, we can all become billionaires. We can make so much money selling drugs in America that we'll all be American billionaires. So every one of them are now coming to America. Every drug dealer, why on earth do you think they would want to live in Colombia or Bolivia or Argentina when they can live in Pennsylvania, when they can live in New York, when they live in Michigan, Wisconsin? Of course they're not. And all they've got to do is make their way across there and then go set up their business and start selling drugs. They've got people in South and Central America is going to ship them the drugs. If violence is necessary uh, for that to take place, then fine. Of course they're going to be violent. They live in a violent culture. That's what the drug culture generates. MS-13, one of the most largest dangerous gangs, uh, in Mexico is infiltrating America daily on a regular basis. This is maddening that we don't do something. But what are we doing? Uh, I can tell you what we're doing. We're passing laws or executive orders that said we're those extremists who promote the superiority of the white race are militia violence and are presenting the most persistent and lethal threat. Listen to this. White supremacists, now not MS-13, not drug members and gangs coming from South America and Central America, but those who promote the superiority of a white race. Now, I remember language like that as I was a child. And they would say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go investigate Martin Luther King. We're going to send our agents from our state police to investigate black leadership. Yes, that's what we're going to do. And they were making laws with the same type of language that we're seeing now, except they were putting in other terms for African-Americans into those laws. They were creating whole organizations within their states that did nothing but investigate African-American organizations, African-American leaders, African-American churches. So now we're living in the world of bizarro. 
So everything is backwards now. So now we've got to investigate people who may tend to be conservative, people who, who support the Second Amendment, people who support abortion laws that restrict that violent behavior. Are they going to investigate, for example, gun violence uh, committed by inner city African-Americans? No, they're trying to do away with bail. So if I go commit a violent crime in New York or, or Baltimore, I don't even have to put up bail. If I burn cities as they did this summer, I'm released. In fact, uh, the future vice president of the United States raised money then to bail these arsonists and terrorists out of jail. This is the world bizarro that we're living in. And at some point, there's going to be a, a tipping point. And not a violent tipping point, but a voter tipping point. Voters are going to say, we made terrible mistakes in electing this type of leadership, and we're going to do something about it. I think that will happen at midterms with the United States Congress. I think you're going to see this Democratic Party unable to escape the ideas of unfunding the police and the ideas of doing away with bail, the ideas of allowing violent criminals out of jail. They are going to be unable to look at the American public and say, we know gasoline now. In California, is $5 a gallon. We understand that they're rolling blackouts in California. Just the other day, it was interesting, California, Californians were asked not to charge their electric vehicles at high peak times. What? Uh, the vehicle that's going to save the world? You can only charge it maybe at midnight? The liberal agenda is going to be unescapable, and I, I think that, Americans are going to use their God-given liberties, hopefully the right to speech, although I, I saw a man arrested just the other day for speaking up uh, to the Board of Education. The law enforcement was brought in, handcuffed him, uh, because he was speaking at a school board meeting. If that's not frightening to you, what, what, what can be? So there is a tipping point. Parents are going to education board meetings. They're speaking up. You're going to see unprecedented numbers go to the polling places next elections. And that's the way America will speak. It won't be guns. It won't be violent behavior. It won't be arson. It will be dedication to their God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you so much, Governor Bryan, for your leadership and your clear insights in how to address America's pressing issues and problems and challenges that we face. And we truly thank you for your continued work in advancing freedom and uh, rebuilding this movement uh, for positive changes in America. Thank you, Governor Bryan. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. And looking forward to hearing Secretary Pompeo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Insami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.